It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Jennifer and Kelly will edify you. It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Jennifer and Kelly are gonna talk, so you better damn well listen. Welcome to the Pages and Popcorn Podcast, the podcast where normally two book nerds, myself, Kalia, and Jennifer, talk about movies based on books, but today, today is different. Tell us why today is different, Jennifer. Today we are going to be simply talking about a film, a documentary, sort of, kind of, not really. <laughs> That's right. Today we'll be discussing Saving Mr. Banks as we continue to live in the shadow of Mary Poppins and make Mary Poppins and our discussions of it last as long as possible because um, we liked it a lot. So it's there and it's our podcast and we can do that. But first we're going to tell you all the ways you can get in touch with us. You are welcome to email us at pagesandpopcornpodcast at gmail.com. You are welcome to find us on all the social media platforms, primarily Facebook and a tiny bit of Twitter, by typing Pages and Popcorn Podcast into your search bar. And of course you are welcome to come to our website, which is pagesandpopcornpodcast.com. And because you're getting the supplemental, you probably already know about our patron. But we really, really, really want to say thank you, thank Thank you, thank you to all, all, all of our wonderful patrons. Thank you so much. Your $1 a month, your $5 a month helps us keep doing this. We love doing this. Oh, yes, please, if you haven't already, feel free to rate and review us, especially on iTunes, because that will help other people find us. And that is awesome. Today we are going to be doing Saving Mr. Banks, which is the 2013 period drama film directed by John Lee Hancock from a screenplay written by Kelly Marcel and Sue Smith. It is centered on the development of the 1964 film Mary Poppins. The film stars Emma Thompson as author P.L. Travers and Tom Hanks as film producer Walt Disney. Deriving its title from the father in Travers' story, Saving Mr. Banks depicts the author's tragic childhood in rural Queensland and the two weeks of meetings during 1961 in Los Angeles, during which Disney attempts to obtain the screen rights to her novels. I have a recap. Are you ready? Go for it. Okay. The film, set in 1961, begins in London. Agent Diamond Russell urges financially strapped author Pamela P. L. Travers, or Mrs. Travers as she prefers to be called, to travel to Los Angeles and meet with Walt Disney. Disney has pursued the film rights to her Mary Poppins stories for 20 years, having promised his daughters to produce a film based on the books. Travers has steadfastly resisted Disney's efforts, fearing what he will do to her character. Having written nothing new and her book royalties have dried up, so she risks so she is at risk of losing her house. Russell reminds her that Disney has agreed to two major stipulations, no animation, and unprecedented script approval before she finally agrees to go. Flashbacks depict Travers' difficult childhood in Queensland, Australia, which became the inspiration for much of Mary Poppins. Travers idolized her loving, imaginative father. His name was Travers, Robert Goff, but his chronic alcoholism resulted in his repeated dismissals, strained her parents' marriage, and caused her distressed mother's attempted suicide. Goff died from tuberculosis when Travers was only seven years old. Um, tuberculosis, but also like some liver damage. He was very yellow. It's a whole thing. 
Prior to his death, her mother's stern practical sister came to live with the family and later served as Travers' main inspiration for the Mary Poppins character. So that is spread out over the course of the entire film, this whole bad backstory. But the other storyline that happens in the film is the Los Angeles storyline. In LA, Travers is annoyed by what she perceives as the city's unreality and the overly familiar inhabitants personified by her friendly limousine driver, Ralph. At the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, she meets the creative team that are developing Mary Poppins for the screen and the composers Richard and Robert Sherman. She finds their presumptions and casual manners highly improper, a view that she also holds for the jocular Disney. Travers's working relationship with Disney and his team is difficult from the onset, with her insistence that Mary Poppins is the enemy of sentiment and whimsy. Disney and his people are puzzled by Travers's disdain for fantasy, given the nature of the Mary Poppins story, as well as Travers's own rich imagination. She particularly objects to how the character George Banks, the children's estranged father, is depicted, insisting that he is neither cold nor cruel. Gradually, the team grasps how deeply personal the Mary Poppins stories are to Travers and how many of the characters are inspired by her past. The team acknowledges that Travers has valid criticisms and they do make changes, although she becomes increasingly disengaged as painful childhood memories resurface. Seeking to understand what troubles her, Disney invites her to Disneyland, which along with her developing friendship with Ralph, the creative team's revision to the George Banks character and the addition of a new song and a different ending, they helped dissolve Travers's opposition. Her creative her creativity is reawakened. She begins collaborating with the team. Soon afterward, however, she is enraged to discover an animation sequence has been added. She confronts Disney over his broken promise and returns home. Disney learns that P.L. Travers is a pen name taken from Travers's father's given name. Her real name is Helen Goff, and she is Australian, not English. That gives Disney new insight into Travers, and he follows her to London. Arriving unexpectedly at her home, Disney shares his own less-than-ideal childhood, but stresses the healing value of the art. He urges Travers not to let deeply-rooted past disappointments dictate the present. That night, after Disney has left, Travers relents, granting the film rights. Three years later, in 1964, Travers has begun writing another Mary Poppins story. While Mary Poppins the film has its world premiere at the Chinese theater in Hollywood, Disney has not invited Travers, fearing how she might react with the press watching. But prompted by Russell, Travers shows up unannounced at Disney's office. He reluctantly issues her an invitation. Initially, she watches Mary Poppins with a lack of enthusiasm, particularly during the animated sequences. She gradually warms to the rest of the film, however, becoming deeply moved by the depiction of George Banks's personal crisis and redemption and she cries and the credits roll and this movie is called saving mr banks and that is the movie so <laughs> one of my favorite comments was from emma thompson there are, i believe it's 35 hours of recordings from the sessions that travers had with the writers and emma thompson listened to all of them she said it was like being poked in the ear with hot forks <laughs> Okay, so I want to separate our discussion into two camps. One, I'd like to talk about the movie itself just as a piece of art and whether it did what it set out to do and how we feel about the movie. And then I would like to talk about the historical accuracies slash inaccuracies because it is based on a real person who did real person things, but the movie is very disney of that. So, which one do you want to do first? Let's do historical accuracy. I had a feeling you'd say that. Okay, I know, I know you are ready to go with this because you tried to go with this when we were recording our Mary Poppins episode. So, the floor is yours, my love. 
Okay, so there are some interesting accuracies in this, and some of them I looked up as I was watching the film. Like, Disney did have um, a newspaper route when he was a child. Other stuff that is completely made up. Um, Disney did not have that much of a relationship with Travers. He never went to London to go visit her. Travers is a very interesting, if odd, person. She was extremely controlling about her property, but... The biggest bit of fiction is his traveling to London. Uh, there are a couple things Travers likes. So the song Stay Awake, she was actually very sad that that was going to be taken out and asked to have that reinstated. But Let's Go Fly a Kite, you know, that was never a big deal for her. Uh, one of my favorite little stories about this is she was not invited to the release, but she went anyway. And then she loudly announced that the animated sequences have to go. She said this to Disney. Disney responded, Pamela, the ship has sailed, and he walked away. Because, damn, she is a difficult person to work with. Yes. Okay. So, one of the main inaccuracies that I thought was interesting of worth note was that this whole thing about he needed her to sign this paper so they could have the rights, but they already had the rights. That was... That was not the thing. And I get that they're trying to make that in the tension of the movie, like, will she, won't she sign the thing? And if she didn't sign the thing, then, like, all of that work would have been for nothing. So that was interesting, but it was also historically inaccurate because they already had the rights. It did take Disney a very long time to get the rights to the book, so. Yes, that is true. Um, also, yeah, he wasn't there for most of her time there. He went to Palm Springs. So, like, he met her, encountered her, and then bailed <laughs> for a while. As do when you can. <laughs> so I thought that was that was pretty funny. Um, so, but but a lot of their dialogue was adapted from letters and telegrams and tele yeah, yeah, letters and telegrams and telephone correspondence. A telegram, kids, was like a text message that got printed out on a special piece of paper and then delivered to you. <laughs> How fun! How quaint! I'll hear tell um, Tom Hanks did an incredibly good job at capturing Disney. So certain things that Disney did, he did smoke two packs a day, but he did want people to see it. Um, he did drink, he did curse. Uh, it was rare, but he did try to keep that as hidden as possible to keep that family friendly image. Yeah. Another main difference was that although the film portrays Travers as becoming emotionally moved during the premiere of Mary Poppins, overlaid with images from her childhood, which is implied to be attributed to her feelings about her father, blah, 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 blah. Actually, her show of emotion was actually a result of anger and frustration over the final product. Reportedly, she felt that in the end, the film betrayed her artistic integrity of her work and the story's character. She was super resentful, and she vowed to never permit Disney to adapt her other novels for any purpose, which is why the... Um, Mary Poppins Returns movie that was eventually made was um, completely British and and not there was no American anything in it. So interesting. She did allow them to adapt um, some some stuff for the stage at one point, but she was very upset about it. So oh, and then something else that I thought was interesting. Hold on, I gotta scroll to this because I thought this was a really interesting change. Caitlin Flanagan reports in The New Yorker in a 2005 article that P.L. Travers wasn't stereotypically starchy and sexless spinster as she seems to be portrayed in the movie. She was actually a self-conscious, self-aware, free-thinking artist whose personal life couldn't have been more different from Disney's normative 
sentimentalism. Travers was a woman who never married, wore trousers when she felt like it, had a transformative and emotionally charged relationship with an older married man, and entered into a long-term live-in relationship with another woman. As she approached 40, she decided she wanted a child. After a bizarre incident in which she attempted to adopt the 17-year-old girl who cleaned her house, she traveled to Ireland and adopted an infant, one of a pair of twins, and raised him as a single mother. Her reverence for the delights of family life was perhaps as intense as Disney's, but her opinion about the shape such a life might assume was far more nuanced. I found that very interesting. The real P.L. Travelers was not how she was portrayed in this Saving Mr. Banks movie. I thought... It is hard to find information about her. She was very uh, protective of her privacy. She also wrote erotica. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, knew some very famous poets in her day. And um, but then was eventually estranged from her son when he realized that he was one of a set of twins and she had only adopted one. So, mm. I mean, her life was really interesting and she was an interesting lady and... Um, there's a lot of speculation about whether she was bi because she did live with this other woman um, very seriously for a long time. In fact, it's while she was living with that other lady that she wrote Mary Poppins because there was you know, job shortages and money issues and um, some, some sickness and yada yada anyways. So was she bi? I don't know. She never self-identified and it's not, not really here nor there. But it is just interesting that this is a woman who... Like, like the thing said, like wore trousers and wasn't about the conventional stuff. And I think you can kind of see that in the books, Mary Poppins, where she's poking fun or being a little bit critical of these parental units and the society at large and parenting and family life and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but that's definitely not in this Saving Mr. Banks movie at all. At all, at all. Uh, she also became very well-traveled later on mm -hmm. you know after she made money from her uh, mary poppins books you know she did visit a lot of the countries that she wrote about which is kind of interesting and that's funny she's she's an interesting character she's not just like you know a characterist and uh, narrative but just a, as a type of unusual person mm -hmm. um sounds like she would have been fun at a party if you could get her drunk enough <laughs> aren't we all fun when you get us drunk enough Oh, no, I know some mean drunks. Oh, okay, that's true. Don't invite those to your party. Invite me to your party. I'm fun whether I've been drinking or not. This is true. Yes. So, yeah, the historical inaccuracies being what they are, I, and I just, I find it kind of interesting because you know they're going to make changes, especially when a book to a movie, they're going to make changes, right? Because they're different mediums. A life-changing thing when you're making a movie about a real person's life you're going to take shortcuts and poetic licenses but I, I, how do you feel about that because i feel like when you make a, a an adaptation because it fits the medium better to tell the same story or if your goal is to tell a slightly different story that makes sense but if you take a real person's life and then you depict it as being that real person's life but you've made some pretty huge changes is that really fair to that real person and their life? I mean, at what point does it become like tacky or do, do you know what I mean? What do you think? Yeah. Um, so I, I remember having this argument about somebody who liked to write one direction fan fiction. I'm like, they're, they're real people that you're writing stories about. It's, it's weird. It's, it's a, it's a weird thing. Um, so there is that part to it, but 
you know, we are used to a language when we tell stories. And there has to be certain beats. There has to be an emotional heart. And that's what they were going for with this film, which they wouldn't have gotten from real life. Um, See, but then but that if makes, you look at like... Hmm? I feel like that begs the question then of, is there a different story that could have been told? You know, molding someone's actual real life into the story you want to tell versus telling the real story or finding a real story that parallels the story you want to tell. Do you know what I mean? And I think you're right. It is. It's like fan fiction with real people. Fan fiction with authors, character creations personally bugs me a tiny bit, as you know. But I can kind of give that a pass in terms of like it's a it's a character, it's a creation, it's it's fake, it's a thing, you know. So if you want to write Harry Draco slash fiction, I'm here for it. But like if you want to write, um, if you if you want to if you want to write about Joe Biden. Going out and solving crime. Um, with President Obama. <laughs> with, with President Obama in tow. Like, there's an element of that which is, gets, it gets squishy. It gets a little uh, uncomfortable, honestly. Uh, um, and we seem to be more okay with that the further removed it is in history. That is true. So, yes. Yeah, you know, uh, Braveheart, there's so much fiction in that. I mean, it's, William Wallace is the name that's true and he lived in scotland for a time and that's about the only thing that's still like real everything else is terrible just really terrible uh, bad history but do we care because how many people really know about william wallace i exactly i mean that's exactly the point i i think and so this was she died in the the, the 90s right she yeah. So before this movie was made, but can you imagine them making this movie while she's still alive? Like, I, they obviously they I, had I to wait. Going that shit. I, they had to wait for her to die <laughs> because uh, this is how you get sued. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is. The, well, like, even are you entitled to, to? Well, yeah, but I mean, are you entitled to make a a a movie that is so different? And yes, it didn't paint her. It painted her in a complicated light. Like she wasn't, def she definitely wasn't like a villain. They didn't make her like a child molester or a murderer. You know what I mean? Which you know, there you go. Then you get to libel. Like she's she's sympathetic and you feel for her and all of that stuff. But like my God, if 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 somebody made a movie version of me, even if they made me nicer than I actually am, I think I'd have some harsh language to say about it. So I don't know. I just the whole thing is a little is a little strange. Yeah, and then to know how historically inaccurate it was and how, I don't know, it just, I don't know, it is strange. Yeah, and how much do you take in accuracy? There there was a big trend in the 90s for the movie of the week to be based on whatever was salacious in the news at the time. So there were three different Amy Fisher films, you know, the Long Island Lolita, and they're all really ridiculous, and this was something that was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And there's no nuance. There, there's no attempt to try to understand what the situation is. It's just sensationalism. Right. And or then you'll have something like um, Apollo 13 that takes a very serious look at trying to be as historically accurate as possible while adding a little drama here and there. Right. And I guess it really kind of comes down to intent because like those salacious Amy Fisher stories were there to sell cars and, you know, laundry detergent. The whole point of that was to have advertising money so that the, you know what I mean, play them on TV and get people to watch and yada yada. Whereas like Apollo 13, just to go off your example, is like 
telling this important story in our, you know, our history of space and blah, 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 and to be inspiring and uplifting. And it's definitely treating those real people very kindly. You know what I mean? Um, and so the, what, what the difference of intent, I think, matters. The, dif the, the intent of this movie seemed to be like a delightful little peek at the behind the scenes of like these immovable object and an unstoppable force crashing together and then he gets his way and but it's okay because she's super moved and also she had this traumatic childhood that nobody knew about you know i mean i certainly didn't know any of that before watching this movie and then reading about her like oh god that was awful like and so then it almost feels like um like tragedy porn like you know like oh my god but let's like dwell in like how horrific her life was as a child and then like use that as why she became okay with this other i i mean i'm not i'm not panning the movie i will say i thought this movie would be like okay for the seven-year-old to watch um it wasn't so i had to send her out of the room pretty early on like realized okay i was like well the dad is a drunk and there's probably going to be bad stuff happening with this and then like quickly did a little wikipedia thing and found out about the mother's attempted suicide and was like yeah you go in the other room <laughs> so like you don't need to watch any of this um but holy crap man like I... but to a certain extent i mean you know there's so little that's known about her and i was looking stuff up going oh wow her mother attempted suicide she really did go out into the lake and have to save her mom her father died at a very young age you know it's sort of fascinating to see what this person's life was like um and then we also get into death of the author you know how do you much do you take that into what they created yeah which in this it's it's taking a huge license of saying oh well you know you know and sometimes you know they're they're blending the film in with what's going on you know, they have her father, you know, speaking some of the, um, the dialogue from the film when he was giving the speech. Mm -hmm. And so this, this odd blending um, where she doesn't even know what her own history is. Well, and what I thought was interesting, too, is like, if you had just seen the movie, the 1964 movie, and you could be like, yes, this was a movie about Mary Poppins, and she definitely comes to save Mr. Banks. And, you know, and she's da-da-da-da-da, and I totally get why this, this Saving Mr. Banks the movie makes sense with Mary Poppins the movie, but Saving Mr. Banks the movie doesn't really make a lot of sense to me compared to the Mary Poppins book. Unless in subsequent Mary Poppins books, because remember we only read the first one, there's a lot more about Mr. Banks because, correct me if I'm wrong, Jennifer, but Mr. Banks is in like the first chapter of the Mary Poppins books because it talks about him making money and then he's not really in the rest of the book, right? Like the mom right. gets more attention in this book. So, what? <laughs> you know? Like, I just, I, hmm. so having read the book, I think if I hadn't read the book, I'd be like, oh yes, of course, this makes sense. She had this thing with her father and she loved him and she wanted this and da da da, and like, this makes sense that they would need to fight about this and that it would be important to her. But these people weren't using the 1964 movie as their basis. They were making the 1964. Their only form of reference was this book. And how in the world were they supposed to know that she had this complicated relationship with her father? It's not in the book. You know, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was odd. I found the whole thing yeah. rather unsettling, honestly, and odd. And, and, and yeah, now that's not to say that it wasn't good or well-made. It was, it was very well-made. The costuming was beautiful. The acting was superb, but from a film standpoint, it's a good film. From uh, trying to understand these 
real people, it's not. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. as a film, I mean, it's, if we're looking at it and just judging it as a film, if it were a piece of fiction, mm-hmm. it would have been well done. I, you know, you have somebody who's complicated. I really did love the scene when she was saying goodbye to her limo driver and she gives him these names and says, you know, your daughter can do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those little touching scenes where she isn't sentimental, but she hates that. So this is why Disney gets under her skin so much, but she isn't heartless. Yeah. I, no. I love when she walks into her hotel room and it's plastered with all this cartoonish Disney stuff. Oh, for reals. And she puts everything in the closet and then the giant Mickey on the bed, she I, puts I in the corner. Because I loved it. Yes. Go ahead. I'll let you say it. Uh, okay. Let me see. I, I wrote it down because I really love that line. You can stay there until you learn the art of subtlety. Yes. It was so good. That was my laugh out loud moment in this movie. Um, and then, you know, at the end, well, towards the end, when she's having all these feelings and emotions, she gets the big giant Mickey and puts it in her bed. So she has something to cuddle with and sleep with, which, okay. Um, yeah, I just, yeah. So from a film standpoint, you know, the cathartic moment where you kind of forgive your past and you're able to move on and heal whatever you do. And that's the thing from a film standpoint, it's cute. It's really sweet. The brothers, uh, who made the songs Sherman were, Brothers, were the, the Sherman Brothers, Sherman. Uh, Richard yeah. and Robert Sherman. You know, they had an interesting history where one of them was injured in World War II, and that has its own tiny little moment. But how they came up with these songs, and that was really cool. But yeah, it's it's that mix of no, these, these are real people. You're taking their tragedy and making it into something for you fun to watch, and it and it, it's kind of this back and forth thing of sometimes you need those stories to know that you can do that kind of thing in real life. You can get over these terrible moments. You, you need those, those aspirational figures, but that's not who she was. Right. I exactly. It's not who she was. And I, the idea of Disney's thing about, we use imagination to bring order into to the world and help the world make sense and, and be better and, and all of that. That's lovely. That's a lovely sentiment doesn't always work i don't know it just again like you said it it is a really it is well done the movie is well done it is well made i think it was titled badly honestly i don't like the title um but fine and i don't think we needed quite so many flashbacks towards the very very end like i think when she's watching it like we can see it on her face we don't need it to be like hammered in again and again and again um, I love when her aunt shows up and is this stern woman with the carpet bag and pulls out a plant and then a cup of tea out of the carpet bag and is like, you know, spit spot and we are not a codfish and all of those like actual Mary Poppins things, you know, in this very stern way. Um, I, I like so that. So that kind of made me wonder about, you know, the veracity of this film. Because you have these moments of, you know, her father's taking over some of the speech from the character. And then you have this other moment of, you know, she pulls out a cup of tea. Oh, come on. Yeah. You don't travel with a cup of China tea in your bag. <laughs> That's not a Next thing. To a potted plant that didn't get knocked over and have dirt everywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, a, you know, there, there's kind of that weird, you know, is this diegetic? Is it not? What's going on here? A little magic surrealism happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't. I mean, we're we're kind of getting into that. Well, you know, what's what is the point of telling stories? Mm-hmm. I know why Disney made the movie of Mary Poppins in 1964. 
I mean, right, we know that. You know, he promised his daughters, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. And I can see why somebody thought, you know, it would be fun is to make that story. <laughs> so I can kind of see why they made this movie. But Well, yeah, okay. So Tom Hanks does have that little speech about, you know, why we make stories. And it's, you know, one to you know, give context to our lives, but it's also to uplift us and show us you know, new ways of being and new truths. And that's what good art should do. So from an artistic standpoint, does it accomplish that? You know, if you like the film, yeah. You know, you, you did that kind of, oh, that cathartic moment that you might need in your real life. Um, but if you're making a documentary, you're using real people, it gets a little squeaky. Yeah. It was a very so, well done movie. Do we forgive it for taking liberties? I don't know, honestly. I just, I feel like it did betray her in some ways. I feel like she would have been horrified by this. And that, and, and it's, and I guess it's not enough time. I think if she had lived and died over a hundred years ago, maybe, and this is kind of maybe shitty of me, but I would be like, okay, she might've been horrified, but she's she's been dead for a hundred years. But she would be horrified and she's been dead for like less, less than 20. Like, do you know what I mean? Or I guess maybe a little bit more than 20, but you know what I mean? It's like one generation. Her son is still around her, you know, um, it's not very far removed. So I guess that, and that's probably just a personal call, but it just, it feels too soon to rewrite someone's real life in the aim of sentimentality, which is the thing she hated the most. I, do you know what I mean? Okay. That kind of begs the question, like Titanic, you know, this is a real tragedy. Real people died. Mm -hmm. You know, this is almost in living memory. I don't think anyone who was on the Titanic is still alive, but it, it's almost there. It's not far removed. And yet you have that stupid ass James Cameron film that's making light of it. It is just, uh, for me, it was a terrible film. If it were a good film, would I have forgiven it a little bit more? Probably because, you know, historical accuracy isn't always the main thing of a film. But it goes back to that question. Do we forgive it for taking so many liberties with the kind of story? It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I, I'm wondering now, because I don't, I remember the guy who's played by Victor Garber in the Titanic movie, um, who was like the architect guy, and he was talking about it, like, my dear Rose, you know, blah, 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 and he was telling her about the lifeboats and stuff, and I don't know, my impression, having seen the movie in high school, but not really watching it in the movie theater, to be honest, um, huh, it's three hours in air conditioning, um, anyways, my memory is that he kind of, downplayed the danger a bit but he also took it very seriously like when they did start to crash he stayed on the boat right and died because he realized that he'd fucked up royally like that it would be different if the engineer guy had died on the boat but then like in the movie he's saved or he saves a bunch of people or he did then then you're like rewriting history to like fundamentally change a character and so Yes, Titanic went down. It was a huge tragedy. But the the characters that were following Rose, I don't think there was really a Rose, right? Like that was a no. complete, you know, manifestation. So it doesn't bother me as much. It and, you know, and the Molly Brown character was a real person, but she died, but she's not like she's not doing anything that was against her character. This is different. I think my Please. line is is that or Molly Brown, sorry. Um this is different because I feel like 
they do change P.L. Travers. They make her into a different person, almost a mockery of who she really was. And so the man who died on Titanic, and I, maybe I'm misremembering this completely, but I think he would he would look at that and say that, you know, that's not offensive. My portrayal isn't offensive. And I feel like she would say, I'm horrified about what they've done with to my personhood in this movie. And again, maybe that doesn't matter because it's art and it's art is subjective and, you know, death of the author and stuff like you said. I just, I don't know, man. I couldn't quite get over it. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't quite get over it. And maybe that's just a well, me thing. That's what got me about, um, you know, so you mentioned Molly Brown, the unseekable Molly Brown. I am kind of a fan of hers. Um, she's, she's a really interesting person. And so I thought her portrayal was... You know, they made her just sort of this loud woman. I was like, no, she was she was cool. She was a badass. Wasn't she Why? kind of a loud badass woman though? I mean, doesn't that? Well, on the um, when they're leaving on the little boats, you know, she kind of rallied her group and said, okay, we're we're going to do this thing and we're going to start rowing. And so she was a little bit more like a general. And the way she's portrayed is just kind of this sort of a doofus, you know, rich lady who was easily, I guess, overcome by just a surly little guy on the boat. And that annoyed me. Ah, I don't remember so, that well. So. Yeah, that's, you know, William Wallace, if you actually read his history, the movie will annoy you because it's so off. Right. You know, if you watch um, Apocalypto or, yeah, I would say Apocalypto. Like, if you watch that movie and you know anything about history, it's like, that's almost offensive. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder about something like, um, I believe it's the Agora. It was made about Hypatia. They make a couple changes, but they do bring to life something that is often forgotten in history. Right. And I guess that I don't see this two-week time in L.A. of some an author's book being made into a movie as being like an essential part of our history. The way, do you know what I mean? An often forgotten or really important. I don't know. I feel like if you want to make a movie about an author who lived through tragedy as a child and then overcame that, cool. And I feel like if you want to make a movie about two people butting heads in the creative process, cool. And I feel like if you wanted to make a different movie about P.L. Travers, cool. But like to put all of those things together and change P.L. Travers, like I just... Again, and Would you have liked it if it were a little bit more removed. Like, I, it wasn't quite the same possibly. Names. Like, and I, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, maybe it's just yeah. that she only died 25 years ago or whatever. And and I know also there's a little part of this which is me. I am a wannabe author. I have written things. I have been published. There's a chance I will write other things in my life that will get published, and who knows what else. But if they made a movie about me, like no one's going to make a movie about me. I get that. But if they did, like. I would want to be treated well. I would want, I I would want to be treated as the queer, loudmouth, agnostic, skeptic, podcast, book-loving, wine-drinking, diet coke-swilling person that I am. And I would not want to be portrayed as like, like as a as a Susie homemaker who loved cooking. Because anybody who'd watch that'd be like, Kaylee, I hated cooking. Do you know what I mean? Like that, I would, and that's like a little tiny thing. Or or a Republican. Can you imagine if they made a movie about me and they're like, yes, she voted for Trump. Fuck you! No! So I feel like that, you know, and if my daughter were to watch that and be like, that's not my mom. Like, I just, and I know I'm obviously reading way too much into it. No one's going to make a movie about me, although challenge extended to the internet world. But, um, I don't know. I'm starting to think about um, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. (laughs) 
Again, removed and ridiculous. Like, and you and I read that book. We read that book about Joe Biden fighting crime with Obama, right? Overly yeah. ridiculous. But it's it's couched as ridiculous. You know it's ridiculous. This movie acts like it's genuine. And that might be the thing that bothers me. It's not like, here's a fictionalized version of these real people. It's like acting as if it's real. And it's really not. Does that make it sense? It kind of also goes to like um, the issue of punching down. Explain to, to our, our listeners who might not know that phrase. Okay, so in comedy, there's this rule where you're never supposed to punch down. Um, punching down means that you make fun of people who are uh, weak or disadvantaged or have problems in their life because they already have a hard time in their life. If you want to make a joke about somebody, punch up because those are the ones who can take you know, your jokes. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. So how does this movie yeah. punch down? So it kind of feels like you know, we're talking about P.L. Travers would have been horrified by this. Uh, because even though we haven't met her, you know, she was a fairly strong person. She was a strong personality. And it's obvious that this would have been something that would have been appalling. So that to me kind of feels like, you know, you're taking somebody who would have absolutely hated your thing and has no control over it. However, it's kind of okay to do that with Disney because he's the one who had a little bit more power and it depends on how respectful you are of who you're making fun of. So Abe Lincoln, vampire hunter, ugh. you know, Joe Biden, Obama, they're, they're people in power. It's not as big a deal, you know, to, to do a teasing thing, but to assassinate somebody who is lesser known, who doesn't have any control over it, that seems a little bit more of a betrayal of that person. I would agree. And also, they didn't do anything bad to Disney. The Disney in the movie was fine. He was magnanimous and loving and funny and kind and blah, 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 blah. The only thing he did that you could even say it wasn't cool was at one point he asked one woman to explain to him what another woman was thinking, but he instantly got spanked for it by that woman saying, you know, we're all not the same being. Women don't have magical ESP powers for other women. And he was like, oh, yeah, good point. Like, other than that, like, he wasn't a bad guy or he, did, you know what I mean? He didn't do anything crappy um, or anything that would be, like, super out of his character. In fact, if anything, they made him more, like, better. They made him kinder and gentler. And he, like, cared enough to go to England and to open up his heart to her and like all of this stuff which didn't really happen so they diminished her character and they exemplified his stuff and i again <laughs> not cool man not cool not cool robert frost not cool <laughs> so you know i i would figure that Neil travers would be a genuinely difficult person to deal with However, she's also really interesting, and that got lost. Yeah. And I don't think it's okay to just say, well, she was a bitch, so we can make fun of her. Right. <laughs> That's not cool, says one bitch to the world. <laughs> <laughs> la, la, la. <clears throat> Anyways. Okay, so, so this is going to be a very long supplemental. <laughs> I guess. I'm. Well, I mean, okay, so we've kind of done the, the first part. The other thing I want to talk about, like, as a film, this movie was, was fine. It was good. It was well-made, mm -hmm. you know? Um it was pretty. The costumes were awesome. The scenery was de delicious. I really liked all the food. Like, I liked, there were some sight gags that were great. I loved her little limo driver guy. I love that she was making those little 
fairy houses out of leaves and stuff. It was very sweet. Um, you know, and she cried at the end, and then that was the end. Yeah, it's got the emotional punch to it. Yeah. And, you know. Awful name. Awful name. Should have been called something different. But, yes. Yeah, but from a plot perspective, you know, it hits all the highs and lows right when it's supposed to. It's well-timed. Yep, the pacing was good. The cinematography was good. The acting was good. It's fine. It's it's a good, it's a decent movie. It is probably more than decent. It's a well-made, well-constructed movie that I did not enjoy because I couldn't get over my own stuff I guess I I, I I mean I did I while we watched I was engaged I definitely didn't get bored I didn't put you know get out my phone yeah so was it worth watching sure I would say with would the say caveat yeah. of uh just you know understand that it's not that it that it is completely you know it is very, much more fictionalized than not um but the stuff that wasn't fictionalized those were really surprising to me you know, so it had me looking up like, okay, did that really happen? Oh, shoot, that actually did happen. Yeah. I love the thing where she was like, and I've decided no more red. No more red in the movie. There'll be and nothing she's got the red. reddest lipstick on. The, I, yes, that was before I sent the seven-year-old out of the room and she said that. She said, she's wearing red. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Her lips look like yours, mom. Yeah, I know. Um, so, okay. Yes. And then, and then I, I even paused the movie and I was like, think about Mary Poppins. Was there red? Like, and I'm like going through it. I'm like, yes, she, Mary Poppins had red lipstick. Uh, well, he so had the I little was... boutonniere thing. Mr. Banks had his little flower that got ripped and stuff was red. And like in the bank, there was some reddish colors and Mr. The old Mr. Dawes had some red on him and all of that, or the young Mr. Dawes or whatever. But like, there wasn't a lot of red. So interesting there's pink and, yeah, I was, and yellow. i was kind of looking at that i was going okay are they getting around that because it's burgundy yeah maybe because that does become a thing like certain colors do get copyrighted and so they'll go around it by you know just shading it off a little bit mm -hmm. so one of the famous cases is um uh, the wizard of oz that witch green that is the only character that is allowed to be that green so whenever you see wicked witches and they're green they're a very different color green that green always makes me think of the green screen green but that's why like all the wicked witches if they're green they're they're kind of an olive or they're more of a chartreuse interesting yeah yeah so, so i, I mean and then in the her scarf is a little bit more coral than yeah in the in the um in the movie at the end, during the credits, they play a couple of clips of uh, the actual recordings of P.L. Travers, and you get to hear her actual voice. So that was kind of interesting. Being poked in the ear with hot forks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Emma um, Emma Thompson is one of my favorite actresses of all time, so I'll pretty much watch anything with her. And, you know, Tom Hanks is America's boyfriend, right? We'll all watch him. Except for that one person that we know who hates Tom Hanks, who um, I won't name check here because that might be mean. But most of us... Will not support him financially or emotionally. Or emotionally, that's right. <laughs> you do you, friend. <laughs> but the rest of us tend to either like Tom Hanks or at the very least not hate him. Um, so, and I thought he did a great Disney, but then, I mean, it's... Tom Hanks. I like Tom Hanks. So I love the casting. BJ Novak was just delightful. Bradley Whitford. I love him. I loved him in every single thing I've ever seen him in. He's amazing. He will always be Josh Lyman in my heart, but it's fine. He's allowed to do other things now. 
And uh, yeah, so it was it was a good movie. It was so worth your time, but understand it's not accurate. And it's free. Like it's on one of the things that I stream, so I didn't have to rent it. So there's that. Cool. Yeah, actually, both of the, yeah, this one and the Mary Poppins Returns, both of them were free. I didn't have to spend any money for the supplemental. So this episode is brought to you by historical accuracy, <laughs> streaming devices, <laughs> and, and death artistic of, liberty. And artistic liberty. There you go. Okay. To find out more, to find out what we're going to be doing next, head on over to pagesandpopcornpodcast.com where you will find show notes, sources, links, information about upcoming episodes, and ways that you can get involved, stay connected, and support the show because I know you all want to. And thank you once again to our amazing patrons for continuing to be our amazing patrons. Your $1 or $5 a month helps us keep doing this, and we We love love doing doing this. this. Yes, we do. Okay.